I look forward to seeing uh, grad students here at lunch afterwards. It'll be fun to hang out and get to know one another. I'll tell you a little bit about myself right now. For those of you who don't know me, um, I have been known over the years to like rap music. And back in the day, as in back in the day, as in back in the 80s, I used to go to rap concerts uh, like Run DMC, if you've ever heard of them, uh, Public Enemy, Fresh Prince, and DJ Jazzy Jeff. And, and you're like, who's Fresh Prince? That would be Will Smith. Yeah, he started as a rapper. Anyway, I used to go to these concerts all the time, but now I don't tend to go to those concerts much anymore. I... I, I have shifted my allegiance to rap with deep theological lyrics, so I'll listen to people like Lecrae and, and Tripoli, and there's a variety of people uh, that my uh, son listens to that I listen to as well. But there is one particular song I want to share with you this morning. I'm not going to play it or sing it, but uh, it's, it's by a rapper named Shai Lin. And the rapper Shai Lin has this great song called False Teachers. And it's an entire song about false teachers. And he not only talks about the evil false teachers who perpetuate an errant gospel, but he proceeds to call them out by name. Entire list of false teachers. He'll say their name and he'll say false teacher. Like, for example, he'll say Joel Osteen, false teacher. Creflo Dollar, false teacher. Benny Hinn, false teacher. Joyce Meyer, false teacher. And on and on and on the name's role. And some of you may think, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's pharisaical. That's, that's mean. That's cruel. You, you, you can't do that. But, and yet it's, it's very much in line with the New Testament. The New Testament will name names. And the reason why we name names is we're trying to protect the church from false teaching, which can lead people straight to hell. So we're not trying to be mean. We're just trying to protect the church. However, as the church protects against false teaching, it must be very careful that we do not turn into heresy hunters or the theological police ready to jump on you and bust you for the slightest misstep. If you've ever been in a church like that, it's, it's often heavy-handed as suspicion is reigning and people are not trusting each other and their beliefs, they may be walking in orthodoxy, this church, but it's not a humble orthodoxy as there's often a lack of love for God and for others. If you've ever been in a church like this, it's turned toxic and love has grown cold. And I, and I just want to be totally honest with you this is what has happened to EBF, Ephesus Bible Fellowship. <laughs> Not our EBF yet. There is a letter that was written to a church in Ephesus. And in that letter, they are commended for their sound doctrine. They are commended for their keeping out false teaching. And yet, they lacked love. And unless they dealt with that, Jesus was going to shut them down. Did you know this? Jesus will shut down churches with sound doctrine. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? He'll shut down churches with sound doctrine if they are lacking in love. And so as the original Ephesus 
church needed to hear it. So we need to hear this at REBF, Evanston Bible Fellowship. We all need to hear this. Many of you, most of you are going to leave here and go launch out to other churches in the future. You want to be part of a church that has sound doctrine, but also has love. And this church in Ephesus had, had the sound doctrine without the love, which we're going to see this morning. So let's, let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. And let's go ahead and stand, and as I read these verses to you, Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You may be seated. What follows in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation are the words of confrontation and comfort from Jesus to these seven churches. And each address will have this familiar refrain of Christ identify himself in some way. Then he'll often confront the church, and then he'll also commend them, a little combination of commendation and confrontation where they need to repent and change, and then he offers them words of life and blessing. These letters address unique situations in each church, and yet they were meant to be read by the other churches. It's like they were supposed to read each other's mail. In fact, all the churches in this region were to obey the words of Christ. And to take it even further, all the churches throughout church history were to obey uh, and listen to these words to the churches all the way down to us today. Jesus wants us to hear his words that he first gave to the church in Ephesus, but they're also meant for us. And I believe Jesus wants to speak. And I also believe that the enemy, Satan, does not want you to hear. And I, and I don't usually look for the devil behind every encounter of everything that happens. I'm not blaming uh, the devil for trying to disrupt my life for every single moment. But as I was preparing this message in particular, I was almost done. And for whatever reason, all the words in my manuscript turned to symbols and foreign characters. And through a series of phone calls and hours, customer support was of no help, so the sermon was lost. I had to rewrite it again. Was that the devil? I don't know. But last night, I'm trying to, trying to go to bed into the night. And for whatever reason, our, all of our smoke alarms, for whatever reason, no fire, just decided to just go off in, in unison 
uh, often, and I had no idea what was going on. Is that saying, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that there are things that will happen in your life where the enemy does not want you to hear the word. And these are very important words that Jesus wants to speak to you right now concerning not just this church, but also your very life. May we be those who hear and listen. So let's go ahead and turn to, here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. It's a letter to Ephesus. Ephesus is a city on this postal route in Asia Minor. It's a very influential city, about 250,000 people. Huge temple to Artemis. Very prominent church. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. From chapter 1, we saw that John is having a vision as the exalted Christ is commanding him to write the words of this prophecy to the seven churches. And as we saw last week, each church has an angel assigned to it, perhaps like a guardian angel. Somehow, in a way, I do not understand. As the angel is addressed in heaven, so is the church addressed on the earth. And here it says that the one holding the seven stars, the angels, and walking among the seven golden lampstands, the churches, is Jesus. Last week we said, who is this Jesus? We talked about the majestic and merciful Christ. And here he's walking among the churches. As you can imagine, Jesus walking among us, coming in here today, coming up on the stage. Who is this Jesus? We talked about him in our ethos community last night, that the the visions of chapter 1 seem quite scary. Can you imagine this majestic Christ coming in here with a long robe and golden sash around his chest? Can you imagine him coming in here with eyes of fire seeing right through you? He has this voice like the roar of many waters. His feet are like burnished bronze. He has this sword of judgment coming out of his mouth. And his face is like the the sun shining in all its brilliance. We have this majestic Christ walking among the churches and, and walking among us today. He sees what is going on in Evanston at our church, just as he did at the church of Ephesus. He sees what's going on. And first he wants to say something good something commendable that this church is nailing it on, that's doing a great job on. Look at verse 2. Here's the commendation. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. The Ephesians are commended for their hard work and their toil. They probably learned this from those who planted the church, Priscilla, Aquila, and the Apostle Paul. This is a church who gets stuff done. I would say this is a church that has grit. They have grit to patiently endure. They have endured suffering and persecution, and and yet they have stood strong for the sake of Jesus' name. They have not given up. They have this grit. Grit is the word that I've been talking to about uh, with my 16 and 17-year-old as we want to stick out life and keep going and and not quit, to face hard situations and and not back down. And there's actually a book that came out by Angela Duckworth called Grit, the, the power of passion and perseverance. 
And I would say that that is the Ephesian church. They are not about to quit. They are full of grit. They have patient endurance. They're going to keep following Christ no matter what. He commends them. But he also commends them, not just for grit, but also for being on guard. They are on guard against false teaching. Look at verse 2 again. It says, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Zero tolerance policy for false teaching. And perhaps these apostles here were itinerant preachers who passed through this prominent city to win converts. Maybe these apostles are claiming authority over the pastors and teachers of these churches. And the apostle Paul says, remember this? Remember when he said to the book of Acts, when he warned the Ephesian elders that this would happen? Let me read this to you in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears." Apostle Paul said, in the future, false teachers are going to infiltrate this church for sure. And and now it's happening. And he said, be on guard, be alert. And what are they doing? They are on guard. They, They are alert. This church is testing those who claim to be apostles, and they found them to be false. They are doing a great job of guarding the flock of God. In fact, this church tends to be hating what Jesus hates. In the Bible, you you can find out what God hates. And one of the things that Jesus hates is false teaching. In fact, it tells us, jump down to verse 6. Look at verse 6. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's okay to hate what Jesus hates. And here we have this hate of this teaching of some fringe group, some heretical group called the Nicolaitans. We're not quite sure what they believe, but we know as we go further and further revelation that they probably were into some form of idolatry and sexual morality. Perhaps they wanted to blend in with the culture of Ephesus and its worship at the temple of Artemis and the immorality involved. Well, the church hated it. It's good to hate idolatry. It's good to hate sexual morality and to keep those who are promoting those activities, keep them out of the church. This church is doing a great job protecting the flock from false teaching. They should be commended, and Christ commends them. They're doing a good job with perseverance. They have grit. Christ commends them for their grit. He commends them for being on guard. They're nailing here. They're doing a great job. They're commended for their grit under persecution and their guard against false teaching. Yet, here we go. That's not enough. That's not enough. That's great. You want to be in a church, you want to be in a church like this who perseveres, guards against, that's good, that's good, but it's not enough. 
Jesus has a confrontation he's going to bring upon them now. Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Grit's not enough. Being on guard's not enough. Because it seems like their lacking love for God and their love for others has grown cold. They used to have a heart full of love for God and others, but it says they have abandoned the love you had at first. Grit doesn't mean much without love. Being on guard doesn't mean much without love. Jesus wants his people to remain steadfast in their affections and their obedience and love. There's something going on here, and I want want to kind of just break it down to think about this. What does it look like to have grit without love? Like, what does that really look like? Because over the last several years, and I said over the last several months, I've been really pumped about the idea of patient endurance in the Bible, that when hard times come, I want to patiently endure. I want to keep following Jesus. I want to have this endurance and perseverance. I want to have this grit, and that's kind of been my focus over the last few years and over the last few months. But if it's grit without love, it's nothing. I could be doing the right external things, but without love, what's, what, what is it? I, I just think about my kids. Um, I can go up to my six-year-old daughter and I'm like, you know, I, I work hard to clothe you and to give you, you food, right? Those are good things to do for your children, right? But it's love when I wrestle with her, which I don't do much. I can go up to my 12-year-old and, and say, okay, you know, I'm, I have this grit endurance. You have endless practices where you need rides. I need endurance to stick with that, right? You want your braces paid for, right? I'm doing that. Let's do that, all right? But it communicates love when I watch the TV show Supergirl with her, right? Did you see how this, we can say, you know what, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to keep doing this stuff. We're going to keep going this way. I'm going to endure here. The love? You know those relationships where you feel like you're sticking it out. For those of you in, in a difficult and, and challenging marriage, I, I commend you for your endurance. I commend you for, for your grit. I know it's hard, right? Some of you are like, this is hard. But is there love? Or is it more like, you know, I'm just going to tolerate you. I'm just going to put up with you. But I'm not going to love you. And we, we think, things are good. I'm still going. But where's the love? And you, you'll see this. This can infiltrate churches where we'll just put up with one another, tolerate one another. But love? So that's what grit can look like without love. But what can being on guard look like without love? Oh, we can have many examples of this. What does it look like to be on guard against false teaching and yet not have love within the church? Well, I can think of a lot of, a lot of things. But just th- think about the person who claims to have the spiritual gift of discernment. Always be wary of those people, by the way. 
Not, you can definitely have a gift, but those who boast of the gift of discernment, the way it's often displayed is that they're just picking on people. You have the gift of picking on people, not the gift of discernment. Always trying to pick things apart. There's no love there. Or, or think about uh, the, the young man who's on, who's on fire for the Lord. He's on fire for, for sound doctrine. And yet he's at a point in his life where he can't distinguish between those issues that are more closed-handed and those issues that are open-handed, right? So those things we hold close-handed are like the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Christ is the only way. Those are the things to die for, right? But sometimes you'll find those new to the faith will, will fight over things that we can talk about without getting hostile about, You'll hear sometimes younger believers say, you know what? If you're not a five-point Calvinist, I'm not sure you're a serious believer. Or if you don't speak in tongues, I'm not sure you're a serious believer. You see how can, it can happen in churches, right? And, it, and one of the things that we often see is it happens on social media, right? We throw, we throw stuff out and we say, if you are truly a true Christian, you will retweet this. You will repost this. You will pass this email on. We get so passionate, and that's, that's okay. But oftentimes, where is the love? So we want to have grit, of course, but we want to have love. We want to be on guard, but we also want to have love. And I just want to say, if that's the way we're treating other people, what's going on with your relationship with God? Even if you're in the Word, are you in the Word in a way where you're engaging with the Word? Even if you're praying, are you praying with God? You're walking with humility, you're confessing your sin, you're walking in grace. What's your relationship with God like if you're attacking others? How do you view Him? What's going on between you and God? Are you truly engaging Him in a way where you're in a relationship with Him, you're growing with Him, you're humble before Him? Often our relationship with God can be lacking when we're just focusing on endurance and sound doctrine rather than dealing with the relationship. So Jesus commends the church. Good grit. (laughs) Way to be on guard. But he confronts them and says, but you're lacking in love. So what's the solution? The solution he gives is you need to remember, you need to repent, you need to return or be removed. That be removed as in, I'm going to shut your church down. Look what he says here, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and I'll remove your lampstand. Shut the church down from its place unless you repent. First, they're they're to remember from where you have fallen. And we know this church. We know them from the book of Ephesians. We know that there was a time where the apostle Paul commended them for their love for one another. Ephesians chapter 1, let me put it up for you. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and, and there it is, and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's like, you love one another. That's, that's great. I commend you. And there was also a time where they, they loved the Lord. The apostle Paul says this in Ephesians six twenty four. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The book of Revelation, Jesus is saying, 
Think back. Remember the way you used to, to love one another. Remember the way you used to, to love the Lord. And, and maybe that's where you're at like right now. You need to remember the way you used to, to love the Lord. And you used to, to, to love one another. Not perfect, not perfect. But there were times in your past where, you know, your heart and your affections were toward the Lord. And were toward others. And Jesus is saying, remember? Remember how that was? But we're not just to remember. We're also to repent and return. You, you see, he says, remember. Therefore, from where you fall, repent. Repent. And do the works you did at first. They were to repent of their lack of love and, and start doing those things they, they did before. Now, notice again in verse 5, it says, do the works you did at first. And I'm fine. Underline that, circle that. Do the works you did at first. There are two things from that I really want to share with you that, I, that scholars have noted from this little phrase. And I hope you're looking at it. It says, do the works you did at first. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, feel the feelings you once felt. I mean, sometimes when I come to this passage, as I read this, I'm like, I guess I got to conjure up some feelings. If I can just go back some original feelings. It doesn't say that. Do the works you did at first. That's actions. And another point to note, it says do the works you did at first. These, these aren't new actions. You don't have to learn something new. Go back and do some of those things you did previously. They're not new. And they're not new for uh, Ephesians, and they're not new for us. We had to go back and love the way we used to love. And, and how did we used to love? Uh, here's a good example. Ephesians chapter 4. Here's love. With all humility. We, we could just stop there, right? With all humility. You love people with humility, with all humility and gentleness. Can we just stop there? Gentleness. Are, are you gentle with others? With all humility and gentleness, with patience. How are you doing with patience with others? Bearing with one another in love. That's the way we're supposed to love one another. And we're also supposed to, to, to love the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandment and abide in his love. You express love for the Lord when, you're, when your heart is changed and you're, you're wanting to obey his commandments. You're doing the things you did at first, of obedience and the word and prayer and loving others. It's not just about grit. It's not just about sound doctrine and guard. But meaningful love for the Lord and for others. And if the church does not repent, they're going to be shut down. Look at Revelation verse 5 again. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Removing the lampstand is shutting down the church. Jesus will shut down churches with sound doctrine. Jesus will shut down churches with sound doctrine if there's no love. Sound doctrine is not enough. Grit is not enough. Sound doctrine and grit must be combined with 
love. He finishes it up. Finishes up with a promise of eternal life. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Those who are spiritually alive, who have the Holy Spirit in them, who are responsive to the word of God, are those who have ears to hear. It goes out to all. Do you have ears to hear? Is what the word's saying right now, is that resonating with you? Do you hear if you have drifted? Is there something going on inside your heart right now where you're like, I have drifted. I need grace and forgiveness, and I need to start following in the way of Christ and love for him and for others. You have ears to hear. If something's going on in you right now, that is good. You have ears to hear. And for those who have ears to hear, they are conquerors. You see that word there? To the one who conquers. Another word is the overcomers. What's a conqueror? What's an overcomer? What's someone who responds to the word and keeps following Jesus no matter what? When you responded in faith to Christ, you responded to the gospel of his perfect life, death, and resurrection. There's no way you can go to heaven without faith in Jesus Christ, his, his life, death, and resurrection. It's by grace through faith you are saved, right? Alone, right? Grace alone, faith alone. And as you are a believer, you proceed through life, you'll face difficult times, you'll go through lows, you'll go through highs, there'll be times where you're not loving, but those who are overcomers and conquerors will keep pressing on in their faith. It is by grace you will press on in your faith. And those who press on by grace through faith are promised eternal life. And and did you see the images for eternal life here? These are the ones who eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's imagery of eternal life as Adam and Eve sinned and, and were banned from the tree of life in the garden. But now all who conquer and press on in Christ will eat of the tree of life and the new heavens and the new earth with God forever. Grit is not enough. Guarding against false doctrine, not enough. It's got to be this, this transformed heart where we love the Lord and others and we engage with the Lord and others. And maybe you're wondering, what happened to this EPF, right? This Ephesus Bible Fellowship. What happened to them? Did they respond to this confrontation? One of the early church fathers, Ignatius, said that the church repented. They did. They repented. And then they flourished. Maybe on down the road, they, they flamed out, right? But initially, they, they repented and flourished. And I think about what about, what about us? Well, what's going to happen to Evanston Bible Fellowship? What's going to happen to us? Will we be those? I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question for future generations, for those who come uh, after most of us who are here. Will this church persevere? No matter what happens in our culture, people start you know, persecuting us. Whatever they're doing, will we have that grit? Will we be a church that holds the sound doctrine no matter what else other churches are doing, will we hold to sound doctrine? And will we love? Have an engagement with God where we are, we are tender toward him and a love for one another where we walk in humility and gentleness and patience. If you're here this morning and maybe you're, you're, you're like me at times where you find yourself going through the motions of 
wherever you're at with the Lord right now, if you're just, if you're just going through the motions, I want you to know you're not alone. A variety of us have seasons where we feel like we're just going through the motions. There was once this pastor I heard about this past week. He um, told his congregation, and he's standing up before them, he said, you know, when I first saw the ocean, the first time he saw the ocean, he said it, it took his breath away, and he was moved to tears. But now when he sees the ocean, it's just a, another body of water. And he remembers the first time he saw the, the Grand Canyon. He said it took his breath away, and he was moved to tears. But now, today, to him, it's just a big ditch. And he remembers when he first started preaching. The word was fresh. It was alive on his lips, and he longed to see people know Jesus. But today, he says he's just going through the motions of the job. And if you're here this morning where you're just going through the motions of a relationship with Christ, Christianity, religion, whatever you are calling it, if you're just going through the motions, maybe you're in that season right now, you don't have to stay there. We talked about Christ being majestic and be the one who sees right through your heart but he's also merciful. And he's calling you to say, hey, remember? Remember the way you used to walk with me? Remember that? Remember those sweet times you used to have in the word and you were so sensitive and you were ready to obey? Remember that you were just ready to obey? Remember, remember that time? Christ is saying, let's get back to that. Repent. I'll forgive you. I'm majestic. I am also merciful. And if that's your heart this morning, if, if you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're sensitive to what God's word is saying, you're like, yeah, I want to return. I want to return to what I once used to know and being sensitive to the Lord and obeying him and loving others. I want to go back to that. I'm going to lead you through a time of prayer, through this remembering, through this repenting, and through this returning. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Let's pray. Maybe just take some time to remember. Remember when you used to spend time with the Lord and you were eager to obey and you were sensitive to the word and you were, by God's grace, humble and patient with others and you wanted to love them and serve them. Remember back to those days. Now, what you do next is very important. You can either repent on how you've drifted or you can blame other people. Do not blame other people for, or your circumstances. Do not put the blame elsewhere. Take the time right now before the Lord, regardless of who's in your life or what has happened. Repent for turning away or to going off into other directions away from him. Repent of not loving others or being patient or kind like you know you should. Re repent and, and don't blame others. It's before the Lord right now, the majestic and merciful Jesus. Repent and find forgiveness in him.
Jesus, in you we see mercy at the cross, forgiveness in your blood, ongoing grace to persevere, to have that grit, ongoing grace to stand strong and sound doctrine, but also ongoing grace to love you and to love others. May we not just be content to say it was great back then. May we walk with you today. May we not point fingers, may we not blame, but find in you grace and forgiveness and mercy and return and return to walk with you and loving you and loving others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.